Um, so to this morning's um, scripture reading is from Hebrews 9, verse 15 to 28. And it says, Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of the calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with the better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own, for then he would have to, had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is as appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Chris. Well, we've got to do something this morning that's doing a little bit different. So Dennis and Linda were not able to join us this morning. And Linda's health is just not up there yet. Um, so we've Skyped in with them. So we're using technology to our advantage. So we got the computer set up front up here. And so Dennis and Linda are joining us through the internet this morning um, so they can worship with us. And so, um, yeah, I think technology can be used very well for us these days. Amen? Until the slides go wrong, right, Curtis? Right? <clears throat> Um, voice is a little raspy. We had a overtime game um, for the Chelan Goats on Friday night, but they won, okay? So um, I would love for you guys, um, if, at 50 yard line, this is the last home game. It's senior night um, this Friday night. So if you want to come, I always hang out at the 50 yard line. We'd love for you all just to come descend upon the bleachers and um, get there early because parking's kind of rough. But uh, Friday night's going to be 7 o'clock against OMAC, and they're the best team in the league. So if we win this one, we're pretty much guaranteed to go to playoffs. So come on now. Come cheer on your goats this weekend. All right. Um, there's my shameless plug for my son's football team. All right. Join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you. Thank you so much for the book of Hebrews. That you just point blank call us out to grow up. And to stop messing with the elementary things of faith and take hold of the promises of God and to have our lives radically changed and altered by them. Thank you for the tougher things 
Lord God, we're going to chew on some tougher things this morning. I thank you for revealing them to us. And I thank you that it's just not academic knowledge, but it really truly changes how we live and how we think about things. And Lord God, I just pray that Romans 12, 1 and 2 would just be at work in us today, that our minds would be transformed as we sit here by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the word of God. In Jesus' name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Since the time of Christ, people have stumbled over the doctrine that Christ had to shed his blood to atone for our sins. When Jesus announced to the 12 that he had to go to Jerusalem, where he would suffer and die, the apostle Peter rebuked him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, that this should ever happen to you. The apostle Paul wrote, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And he went on to say, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Liberal theologians hate the idea of Christ's blood paying for our sins. They have called such views slaughterhouse religion. They ridicule Christians who believe in a God who would be petty enough to be angry over our sins and pagan enough to be appeased by blood. The playwright, George Bernard Shaw, bitterly attacked the Anglican Book of Common Prayer, saying, it is saturated with the ancient, and to me, quite infernal, superstition of atonement by blood sacrifice, which I believe Christianity must completely get rid of if it is to survive among thoughtful people. George Bernard Shaw and other theologians who want to deny the necessity of blood atonement fail to realize that you can believe what you want to believe, but God is who he is. You see, and it's been that way since the beginning. When Adam and Eve rebelled against God and sinned in the Garden of Eden, we read of the curse that God places upon mankind Then he clothed them with animal skins. An animal had to die. Blood had to be shed for the covering of sin. God set the standard and the penalty and the price, what it would take to cover sin. Hebrews here in verse 9, or excuse me, chapter 10, starting in verse 15, is going to address this understanding that this is what the requirement is. Because sin has entered into the world, there was a requirement for blood to be shed, a sacrifice to be made in order for sin to be washed away. This is a law of salvation. We don't like using the word law or rule. But this is a law God established. In order for sin to be taken care of, blood must be shed. It's like the law of gravity, right? I'm going to 
walk over here. I might squeal. There we go. Avoided the squeal. Like good old clamp, right? I really should take my junk home. Um, gravity, right? I can sit here and say, I don't believe in gravity. I rebel against the law of gravity. In fact, if you want to be a real human, you'll join me in rebelling against the law of gravity. But guess what? It exists. In fact, in the military, you have to equate for the law of gravity. Artillery has to equate for the law of gravity. An infantryman has to equate the law of gravity. How? Well, we have this beautiful thing called maximum effective range on our weapon systems. Why is there a maximum effective range? Gravity. Gravity is going to get hold of that little tiny object called a bullet, and it's going to pull it back down. And an infantryman needs to know how far he can shoot and be effective with his weapon. You can sit there and try to rebel, but you can come up with the greatest propulsion system ever. But you've got to deal with the laws of gravity. Because guess what? Things are eventually, when they run out of fuel, going to fall and come back down. You can rebel against that all you want to. You can sit there and say, I don't believe in it, and jump off a building. You're going to pay the price for that. So it is with the law of salvation. You can sit there and say, I don't believe in it. I rebel against it. I choose to believe in something else. But what it doesn't change is the fact of its trueness, truthfulness, and its existence. Okay? And so that's something that we have to kind of wrestle with because we live in a world that wants to say, no, we don't believe in that. We don't think, we don't want to think about that. That whole violence of the cross, the blood that was shed, that's just too much. And it's too much, it's too yucky for us to think about. But it's what God said is necessary. And so instead of rebelling against it, let's embrace it. Because there's goodness to be found in embracing the law of salvation. Amen? All right. You got your illustration for the day. And next time I grab a clamp, people are going to duck. Okay. We see here. Oh, there we go. The unchangeable laws. We see this in Genesis 3, as, as we see, as I spoke of earlier. As we dive into this text, we read that Jesus is this beautiful mediator of the new covenant, starting in verse 15. Therefore, he, speaking of Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant. So that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from transgressions committed under the first covenant. Now, when you hear the word mediator, and we talked about this as a, as a sermon chat as elders this week, we talked about, you know, we need to really clarify what it is to be this understanding of mediator. And the, net, the New English translation, in dealing with the term, the Greek term for, Greek, for mediator gives a good explanation of this word and the difference that it is in the Bible versus what we understand today. This Greek word for mediator in this context does not imply that Jesus was a mediator in the contemporary sense of the word. For example, he worked for compromise between two opposing parties. Here the term describes his function as one who was used by God to enact a new covenant which has established a new relationship 
between God and his people, but entirely upon God's terms. I want to repeat that to usually a mediator. When we think of a mediator, we, a mediator is trying to bring two different opposing parties together and work out a compromise between the two parties. He's trying to listen to both sides, appease both sides, make both sides feel like they're victorious. He's the ultimate in the bartering relationship. He wants both sides to feel like they're winners in order so that they'll stick to and, and adhere to the mediation that they agree upon. Jesus is not that kind of mediator. God has a law of salvation. There's no negotiating with that law. Jesus Christ, when he came and he lived the perfect life and he died upon the cross for our sins and he was dead and buried and he rose again on the third day, his sacrifice upon the cross met God's standard. And, and there's some bad theology out there that somehow Jesus went and wrestled with the devil and, and, and he, he paid the devil the price for your salvation. Er, wrong answer. God had a standard that had to be met. The law of salvation had to be met. And it was met through Jesus Christ's sacrifice. And so he now, since fulfilling that sacrifice, sits at the right hand of God and mediates on our behalf, meaning that he continues to tell the Father they're under the blood. They have, we, I have met your standard so that they can remain in fellowship with you, remain children of God with you. Jesus Christ mediates in this way. He doesn't turn to us and say, what do you think about God? Let me go talk to the Father and adjust his plan so it, it, you feel better right? That's not what he's doing. He's like, hey, meet, come meet the standard of God. And so the only way for us to become part of this mediation between the Son and the Father is to believe in Jesus Christ and him alone for the salvation from our sins. Amen? All right. And so that, that is where we understanding of he is the mediator of this new covenant, this better covenant. Now, in the Old Testament, the high priest served as the mediator. And he mediated the Old Covenant, and they would bring the sacrifices to the temple annually for the Day of Atonement, and the high priest would go in and offer this sacrifice. For, he'd offer a sacrifice first for himself, and then he would offer, offer a sacrifice for the people. But this had to be continually, perpetually done. Because while it covered the sin... And it served as a way for the people of God to show their faith in God. And I want you to understand that. The ceremonial law did not save them. Like yesterday during Brian's service, I spent a significant amount of time going through all the wonderful things that Brian was. Brian, Brian was a great dad. Brian was a great husband. Brian loved his family. Brian loved his church family. He prayed. He read his Bible. He did all these things. And I went through this. Oh, Siri's trying to talk to me. Okay. Um, he went through all, he did all those things. Yeah, don't step on the glasses. Chrissy's like, but he went through, I went through all those things because I wanted people to understand those things didn't save him. Faith alone in Christ saved him. They did those ceremonial laws not to save themselves, 
but to demonstrate that they had faith in God, they loved God, they wanted to please God because of who he was, and so they obeyed God through the ceremonial laws. That's what it was there for. They weren't trying to earn their way into heaven. It's always been faith alone in God that saves. From Genesis to Revelation, that has not changed. And so the Old Testament high priest would mediate this old covenant and would do perform these things, but Jesus is the far better mediator, the far better high priest, because sacrificed once for sin, he didn't have to sacrifice on behalf of himself because he was sinless. And he not only was the perfect high priest, he was also the perfect sacrifice. He presented both before God. He is the better mediator of the better covenant. We read next in verse 16, goes on to say, gotta switch glasses here. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated with blood. For when they commanded, for when um, for when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats and with water, scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God has commanded for you. All right, so we read here that God, Jesus Christ himself, is gonna talk about why there had been death in order for the covenant to be inaugurated. How many of you all have wills? Don't raise your hand. If you don't have a will, this is a complete sidebar and totally off topic. I've been a pastor here for a while. Before that, I was an army chaplain. I've done a lot of funerals. If you don't have a will, make a will. It's just loving to your family. I'm just completely sidebar comment because... I've watched a lot of that stuff go down and to see Brian take good care of his family and, and, and take care of those things ahead of time, it was just, it's just a blessing to like, in death, they're still taking care of their family. Because if Brian could, he'd still be taking care of Don, but he's with Jesus now and he's really excited about that. Guess what? You don't invoke a will while somebody's still alive. You're like, that's nonsense, right? My kids aren't coming to me and saying, hey, can I have some of that 750000 that, that, that I, you know, that you're good for if you're dead? I'm like, first off, there ain't no 750000 until I'm dead, right? You know, that, that's, but my kids know that, right? You know, they, my brother's not sitting here saying, hey, I'll take the kids now and you can give me some of that money to help take care of the kids, right? We're still alive. We're still breathing, right? And it's kind of, it's, it's an interesting comment, but a very common sense comment for them to make. There can't be a new covenant. And the word that's used for will there is the same word that's used for covenant throughout Hebrews. There, there can't invoke this new covenant until death first had to take place. In the Old Testament, that death was the blood of, of goats and sheep and animals. And in the New Testament, the greater sacrifices in Jesus Christ. And so while that covering was what God required in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, we see the greater wiping away of sin demonstrated through the death of Jesus Christ. And so he inaugurates a much greater covenant, the better covenant, the best covenant, the covenant that's not a burden. For Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, right? 
This is, this is our Savior. He has said, you know, this is the better covenant, and this is what is beneficial to you because it provides salvation for you for all of eternity. This is the greater and the better covenant. And so Jesus inaugurates the new, the better. So we read here, starting in verse 21, and in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. This sounds kind of weird, right? Let me tell you what took place. When they inaugurated this new tabernacle, they had craftsmen, such skilled craftsmen, shape and form all the articles that were to be used in the tabernacle. And to include like the forks and knives that would be used, to include the candles, the altars, the table of showbread. But in order for them to be put into use, they had to be purified. Now, the law of salvation dictates that that purification can only happen with blood. Absolutely. So they sacrificed animals and a specific type of animal, and they spread this blood over these articles. Now, Don Webb came to me last week and had a great question, like, wouldn't that be pretty messy? Like, yeah, like, that would be. I mean, blood is, 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 is sticky and smelly. I mean, if you ever slaughtered your own animal, you're like, you know that it is, it's a messy situation, but that was the requirement. It wasn't about the stickiness or messiness. It's about what God required. Now, what was it that, was he just washing them to be washed? Okay, they, we've purified these vessels, great, we're moving on. N no, they were purified to be put to work to be put into service, to be used for worship. That's underneath the old covenant. Jesus inaugurates a new covenant, which demanded that the new temples and the new articles that are used for worship be purified. And by Jesus' blood, we, are purified for service and worship in all of life. The blood now takes on a little bit different perspective when you think of it like that. You see, we can't offer any good service or any kind of good worship to God apart from the washing and the cleansing of the blood upon us. Jesus had to die. He had to go to the cross. He had to shed the blood so that we could be washed clean. Because you see, sin is absolutely egregious. And sin is horrific. And when so-called theologians want to argue against the blood atonement of Christ, they argue against that my, what they're really saying is my sin isn't that bad. It doesn't require that much to overcome. But God says it absolutely separates you from me. And there's no coming together apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. Christ dies upon the cross to wash us 
clean so that we can be used for the worship and the glory and the service of our almighty God. For by grace you've been saved, not as of works, right? Why? So no one should boast to do the work that was prepared beforehand for you to do. We were washed clean for work. My retirees are like, wait a minute. I thought I had enough of that. No, like I've always joked around that retirement just means you get more time to serve God, more time to do the work of God, right? Less time to serve, serve man. But you know what? Let me tell you something. I want you to understand something so important for you to understand. There's this beautiful thing called the theology of work and going on nowadays for people to help properly understand that God has given you the gifts and the talents and the abilities in your jobs so that God can use you for worship there. Like the jobs that we have, the activities that, that we have, the hobbies that we have are not meant to be just things unto themselves, but rather opportunities for worship. You see, we're cleansed so that all of life becomes worship. It's significant and matters. Your accountant adding up numbers. Guess what? The way you do that faithfully and obediently and obeying the laws of the land, guess what? You worship God. You put God on display through your actions. As you're a medical provider taking care of patients day in and day out and coming in with runny noses and, and, and other issues and drug problems, like how you treat those people and how you love those people is, is worship unto God. As you go out on the golf course and you're paired up with an individual who puts a string of words together you haven't heard since your time in the service, right? And you're like, oh boy, how do I like, but in those moments as you're riding with that individual, you can worship God by putting God on display on the golf course in those moments and being Christ in those moments right there to that individual. Like, let me tell you something. Teachers, I can go on. Builders, architects, designers, like all these wonderful things that God has created for us to do are not in and of themselves. Interior designers, like all these things, God has given us these abilities so that we can worship him. You were washed clean so that you can worship God in all that you do. It's so cool. As Christians, we have the greatest purpose and abundance of life because we're supposed to worship him in all that we do and say. Even how we're husband and wife, parents and grandparents, in all of our relationships, worshiping God. We were washed clean for service and for worship. That's why it's the greater covenant. That's why it's the better covenant. We're never having to go back and sacrifice something again. That's the elementary stuff that Hebrews is saying, get over it. The sacrifice has been done. You can't do anything to earn it. Now live in light of it. Live washed clean lives. Pursue God in everything that you are, and you're going to fall down. But guess what? He's the mediator, and he never takes a day off so we can get back up and start serving God again and be forgiven people. We're without excuse. We're without excuse. He is the mediator that is mediating on our behalf. In verse 23, thus it was necessary for the copies of heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these, 
For Christ has entered in not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the but now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with the blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus Christ is mediating. Perpetually, continually. Never has to go back and sacrifice again. That is done. The law of God has been met, and of salvation has been met in Jesus Christ. That means we now get to live the truth of that out in everyday lives. That we're changed. That means that we can go out and live adventurously for Jesus Christ. My dear brother Glenn gave me a book, and, and it's this idea, this understanding that we've kind of pushed the edge on theology a little bit by, by the books called Radical and all these like really big books about like making it sound like, hey, if you, if you follow Jesus, you're, you're living on the edge, man, and you're like radical, and you're awesome, and you're like, right? Romans 12, 1 and 2, I want, if, you, if you would just turn over there with me, I believe Ephesians and Romans, especially, excuse me, Hebrews and Romans are, are just tying up so well together right here. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, Paul saying to the Roman church, I appeal to you, brothers, by the, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual Worship. Other transmissions may have your reasonable service. Brothers and sisters, what, what, what Hebrews is talking about right here isn't radical faith. This is normative faith. This is the standard. This isn't crazy, off the wall, wackadoo. Jesus says, Christ has done this. God says, Christ has done this for you. Live in light of it. Stop worrying about, am I saved or not saved? If you believed in Jesus Christ, great. The sacrifice has been accomplished for you, great. Don't try to put Christ back on the cross again. Stop it. Live in light of the, the life that Christ has given you because he is the great high priest mediating on your behalf. Brothers and sisters, it's okay. Own it. You can't ever do anything to earn it. Embrace it. Stop trying to be like, well, but I really don't deserve it. I need to do something to do. Stop it. He's saying embrace it. Be forgiven. Live forgiven lives. Extend forgiveness like crazy. Because you've been forgiven like crazy. Live in light of this beautiful, abundant life that God, he has come to give us life and to give it to us in abundance. The evil one comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus brings life. And that's what this passage is all about. He's saying you have been washed for the purposes of life, of worship. 
Go live that life. Hebrews 10, 28 reads, excuse me, 9, 28 reads this. So Christ, having been offered up once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. That's what awaits us. For those who are in Christ Jesus, who those who, are, who get this, like, and how do we eagerly await Jesus Christ? Well, we live in light of the forgiveness that we've been given. We, we're, we're going, I'm going to take hold of that promise and I'm going to go live for Jesus and I'm not going to look back. That when I confess sin, it's not so that I try to earn my salvation or so that I'm trying to earn, earn standing with God again, but rather I'm wanting to open up those lines of communication with him. But I know I'm forgiven. I know I'm under the blood and I know I'm living. My life is his. And I want to live in light of that promise. I'm tired of hearing heaven without Jesus. If you pick up a book and read a book about heaven, and it isn't about Jesus, 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 it ain't heaven. It's something else. You see, when we get to Revelation, and we're going to study the book of Revelation coming up here starting in January. When we get there, you're going to really be disappointed in my teaching in Revelation because I'm not going to be naming dates and I'm not going to be like, oh, this means that and this means that. It's going to be about Jesus because this year we have focused on Jesus as the greater. He's the greater priest, uh, priest, prophet, and king. And there's no better book in the Bible about Jesus being the better king than Revelation. Brothers and sisters, we have family members. My sister's in heaven. My grandma's in heaven. My grandpa and grandma Morris are in heaven. A lot of people. Guess what? It's Jesus that I long to see. That's what he's saying. Do we eagerly await for the return of the king? Are we longing to see Jesus? I mean, Paul said it well. For me to die is Christ. To live his gain, you know? He gets that I want to be with Jesus. And he suffered to the point of blood, shedding blood. He'd been waked, beaten, stoned, imprisoned, right? And he just wanted to see Jesus. Do we yearn and ache to see Jesus? Because I think when our attitude of our hearts is that when we wake up in the morning, like, I want to see you so bad, Jesus, but as long as you got me here, I want to live for you. I want to live in light of you mediating on my behalf today. And I want to live this life for you. I want, every, I want the way I treat my kids today, the way I talk to my spouse, the way I interact with my neighbor, the way I drive to work, the way I drive to my hobbies, the way I, the way I, I go to the grocery store, the way I go to the bank, the way I walk around town, the way I treat my patients, the way I, like all these different things that we do during our customers, the way I treat my employees, like I want everything I do to be worship. Everything, because that's what it looks like to live in light of Christ being the mediator. So that our hearts are ruled and reigned by nothing but Jesus. It's the better covenant. It's the better way. 
We're going to talk about that more next week. In case you didn't get enough today, when we roll into 10, we're going to talk about it some more. This is the law of salvation. Whether you choose to believe in it or not, it exists, just like gravity. Except for gravity is going to fade. God's law of salvation never will. Please join me in prayer. Father God, thank you. We thank you, Lord God, that you've called us to live a life in you, with you, pursuing you. And you've given us the power to do that by the Holy Spirit. Lord God, you have loved us greatly by sending your son to die on the cross for us. May we love you with great desire and passion and look to surrender all of our lives to you so that we may be that utensil washed by the blood for the worship of God. In Jesus' name we pray and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This time we're going to come into a part of our service <clears throat> where we share God's stories. And because of the meeting today, we're going to kind of, you know, probably cut it off one or two. But um, we, we don't want to not do this time. Um, if you're visiting with us, we believe that God is glorified as we share what he's done in our life. We believe God is the hero of our story. And so we share stories in here, not to say, oh, look at me, look what I've done for God this week, but to say, look who God is. Look what he's done, and praise be to his name. So who's got a God story this morning? Oh, there we go, Mackenzie. So in the last few months, I've um, been dealing with some health issues, and um, um, I've been praying to God that he would help me um, overcome these. And in the last two weeks, I went... Two weeks ago, I went to the neurologist, and um, he gave me a shot, and my health issues were I was passing out and having dizzy spells, and in the last two weeks, I have not had a single dizzy spell or have passed out, and so God is amazing, and I, I thank him every day for that, that I have not had a problem in two weeks. No, praise so, God. Praise God. Amen. Oh, there we go. So there's a couple of things that God showed me this week. Um, one, well, I was at a retreat this weekend, and um, during our devotional time, we walked through some questions, one of which was different pieces of the Lord's Prayer, and which stood out to you the most. And there were a couple of things. One was praise, but the other was um, my temptations. But as I really prayed through that and thought about it, I thought, if I focus on my temptations, that's not um, what's going to help me. <laughs> what will help me is really focusing on God and his character and who he is. And so it was just a really great reminder with that. And then um, a verse that God brought to me also um, is Psalm 94, 19. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. And um, it also just kind of reminded me to go to God for my consolation and not other things. Mm. Praise God. 
All right. Well, there's a little God story back here real quick. Um, so this is, this is Evelyn. Evelyn, Chris. That, and not Charis, it's Chris. Um, Snyder, everybody say hi. Well, I got a very short one here, a very quick one I'd like to share. Thank you, Pastor Scott. Uh, we all have tough days, tough weeks, sometimes at work. I was having a very, 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 very difficult week this week. I came around a corner, and he knows I'm going to talk about him. I came around a corner, and there was Paul McNally sitting at the breakfast table at the hotel I was, I was at as chief engineer. Very, 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 very tough week, and just talking to him. Even though he was dealing with some issues with, with, with his wife being ill, uh, that actually lifted me up, Brother Paul. I appreciate mm. you. God bless you. Amen. So, I want to share that. 